What's up, church? Hopefully you guys had a, uh, a good week this past week, but uh, glad to be here this morning. This morning we're actually going to start a brand new series called Living in the Light of His Return, where we're going to go through uh, two tiny little letters that we find in the middle of the New Testament called First and Second Thessalonians. We're going to do this for the next five weeks. Now, I'm excited about this because while I've read First and Second Thessalonians many times, um, I have actually never actually taught through it. So I'm excited about it. I think it'll be fun. Um, the, the, they're very unique letters that Paul writes to a church, a to a church in a huge city called Thessalonica. And, um, and it's, it's pretty unique in the fact that he relates the way that we live our life with the fact that Jesus is coming back someday. And so we're going to kind of look at that. We're going to look at kind of the end times and what that looks like and how Paul describes that. And then we're going to connect that with our life and what that means for our life here as we live it in 2021. And so excited about that. Uh, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I want to tell you the backstory of these letters, which is really going to help us in two different ways. Number one, it's going to help us um, get to know the Thessalonian people a little bit, like how Paul knew them. And so when we get to know them, we'll be able to understand a little bit more of Paul's emotion behind the words that he writes and his drive. And so we'll get to know them a little bit, but it also will help us uh, see how the news of Jesus th spread throughout the Mediterranean Sea area and the Roman Empire, which, by the way, Okay, we all know this, right? It's something that God expects us to be a part of today. Like we're supposed to be a, still a part of this. The job's not done. So, you guys ready? Okay, here we go. We're going to get, uh, get going. Um, Luke tells us, and we find this in the book of Acts. Luke's the one who writes Acts. Um, Luke tells us that Paul, he spends uh, his time, once, once he becomes a Christian and he, he gives his life over to Jesus, he spends his time traveling around the Roman Empire, and he's basically telling everybody that he possibly can about what Jesus has done for him, about what Jesus did on the cross, which happened just a few years before this, um, that God had died for everything that we've ever done wrong, and that we need to surrender our life to him, and that we can actually have a real relationship with our creator who cares enough about us to have died for us. By the way, same message that we teach here today. Nothing's changed, okay? Um, some churches change it, sure, but, uh, but we don't change it. This is the same message that God expects us to teach today. It's the same message that we teach here at Grace. Uh, but as Paul is, is heading around, um, he starts heading west, and he's going from town to town, and he's with this guy named Silas, who's kind of like his partner in crime, and on the way, he picks up this young guy named Timothy. Now, I got this really, really cool map that has really tiny words that um, many people won't be able to, to read because they're so small, and I don't know how to fix it. So that's what we got today. But, uh, but Paul plans to travel south. He's up here somewhere. He plans to travel south to all these cities here in Asia. Now, when we hear of the word Asia, we think of like giant continent, the biggest continent in the world type place. That's not what they were talking about back then. Asia was actually the name of a province of Rome. So way smaller than what we think of Asia, which is actually over here somewhere, you know. Um, but, uh, but this is a province kind of like how we view uh, states in our, uh, in our country here today. So Paul's plan is to go through Asia and, and spread the word and tell uh, people in all these cities about Jesus. And then God tells him no. 
And so he's like, okay, God, I guess I'll go up to Bithynia, and then, which is another province, this light green area. And then Paul's like, now, or God tells him, no, I don't want you to go there either. Which is interesting to me that Paul has these plans. And think about it, what Paul's trying to do here. He's just trying to tell people about what Jesus has done. Right? And, and he comes up with a pretty good plan. He's trying to tell as many people as he possibly can. So he's trying to go to all these cities, but God tells us, no, it's really just a great reminder for us that just because we come up with what we think is a pretty good plan that doesn't always match God's plan. We've all experienced that before, right? And the Paul, yeah, oh yeah, Paul's experiencing that. And so Paul doesn't really know where to go. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what God has planned for him. So Paul travels, he kind of wanders west until he cannot wander west anymore because he comes up to the Aegean Sea, which is the north part, kind of the Mediterranean Sea. And he stops in this city called Troas, which was a city with huge beaches right along the coast, right? Not, not a bad place to stop. And a few days later, as he's in Troas, he doesn't know where God wants him to go. Uh, he gets a dream. Um, he has a dream one night of this man from this area called Macedonia, which was the next province over across the Aegean Sea in that orange area, a man from Macedonia begging him, saying, hey, Paul, hey, come over here to us. Hey, hey, Paul, come help us. We could really use your help, All right? Now, Macedonia is a province of Rome that was really well known, um, had a rich history of, in being a strong nation before they were actually conquered by Rome. I mean, a few hundred years before, actually 400 years before this time that Paul's, Paul's there, um, they had this king that every single one of us in this room, I'm assuming, has heard of called Alexander the Great. We've all heard of Alexander the Great? Okay. Everybody in the Roman Empire back then knew of Alexander the Great. And the Macedonians, they took a lot of pride in that, that Alexander the Great was from their country, that, that he was, you know, even though it was 400 years later, that he was their king. And so Alexander the Great had conquered much of the known world, and the Macedonians, they took pride in him. They took pride in that. And, and they were actually a world empire for 200 years after Alexander the Great until they were conquered by Rome, which is about 200 years after Alexander the Great and 200 years before, before Paul. And so every so often for the last 200 years, um, a, a leader would rise up in Macedonia. You know, they would, a lot of times they would say, I'm the next Alexander the Great. And they would raise this huge Macedonian army and they would challenge Rome and they would get defeated. So that's kind of what's going on. That's what everybody knows. Paul understands this. That's what he might, might even be thinking when he thinks, okay, here's a man from Macedonia. What's going on? And so when Paul has this dream, he's thinking, well, I'm not sure what this means, but I'm guessing that God wants me to go to Macedonia. That's my, that's my next stop. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy, and, uh, and a guy named Luke, the guy who writes Acts, um, he, they, they, Luke jumps in at this point, but they all cross the Aegean Sea. They head over to Neapolis. I got a little arrow there. And then after Neapolis, they walk to a huge city called Philippi. Um, in Philippi, there's a bunch of, a bunch of cool stuff happens. Um, I would encourage everybody in this room, sometime this week, you should go read it. You'll find it in Acts chapter 16. But it's just some interesting stuff. Paul, he meets some people there. Uh, there's a lady named Lydia, and, uh, and they, he starts a church, and he's telling everybody that he can about Jesus, which is what he did. And uh, eventually, Paul is beaten. He's thrown in prison by the, by the Philippian officials. And just some cool stuff where, where the, 
there's an earthquake, and the jailer ends up getting saved, and, and his whole house, and it's just, it's just some cool stuff. So I encourage you to go read that. It's in Acts chapter 16. And eventually, the leaders of, the, of Philippi, they come to Paul one day, and they say, hey, Paul, we want you to lead. We don't want any part in what you're saying here, in this teaching that you have, this new teaching, this, thing, this Jesus guy. We don't want any part of it, so we want you to get out of here. And so Paul says, okay. So Paul heads south about 92 miles from Philippi to this huge city called Thessalonica. It took him about five to six days to get there. And, um, and in Thessalonica, they, uh, they, Thessalonica is just this, this huge city. Um, it's located on the eastern coast of Macedonia. It's actually a port city. Um, they were surrounded by mountains and hills, so it actually made it the best port really around because it was protected by storms and wind and all that stuff. Um, they also had major Roman highways running through it, north and south and east and west, and there's just tons of natural resources that made the city large and made the city rich. They were known for their, they had like unlimited amounts of timber because of the mountains right there that was shipped all around the world. Uh, they were known for their fertile ground, and so they had, you know, crops up to wazoo, you know, like, you know, that they could, that they were shipping all over the place. Um, they had, uh, they were no, also known for their gold and silver mines. They just had, they had everything when it comes to like natural resources. And so they, they were shipped all throughout the world from their port and on these major Roman highways. In fact, still today, this is the second largest city in modern Greece. Okay. So this is a, this is a huge city. So Paul heads there. And when Paul and Silas and Timothy get to, to Thessalonica, they do their usual thing when they get to town, when they get to all these cities. They first go to the, um, to the Jews, and they, they get there and to the synagogues, and they spend three Saturdays explaining to the Jewish people that, hey, your Messiah, that you guys have been waiting for for like thousands of years, has come, and, you, and we actually was put to death. But guess what? He's coming back. He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And so they're telling all these Jewish people about, what, about this Jesus guy, and a large number of Greeks end up giving their lives over to Jesus, and some elite women in the city give their lives over to Jesus, but not very many Jewish people. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, this is what it says. Luke tells us that, but the Jews became jealous. So instead of the Jews saying, hey, this is great news. Our Messiah is finally here. We've been waiting for generation after generation after generation for this, for this being who's going who's gonna to save us and going to become our king. He says, instead of accepting Jesus, they became jealous that these Greek people and these prominent women were giving their lives over to Jesus. And they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace and they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. So they're starting a riot. There's people going all over the place. They're throwing trash cans. They're throwing bricks and windows, you know, just all the normal stuff. And uh, they attacked this guy named Jason's house. Now, Jason was one of those people that gave their lives over to Jesus. And Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they're actually all staying at Jason's house. And the city knows it. And so they go, this, these, this mob of people, they go and they attack Jason's house and they search for them to bring them out to the public assembly. So they want to drag Paul out. They want to put him on trial. They want to condemn him. But they did not find them. And so when they did not find them in Jason's house, they actually dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials. And this, so this is, this is their claim. They're saying, hey, these men who have turned the world upside down, they have come here too, to Thessalonica, to our city. And Jason has welcomed them. Can you believe that? You know, they're just like... 
you know, Jason should be in trouble. He says, they're acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, some guy named Jesus. Now, this is a really big deal, claiming that there's another king. And when the city officials, when they hear this, they have to take this seriously. Um, because Thessalonica was considered a free city, which back then, this is kind of the highest honor that Rome could bestow on a city. Um, it meant that they, had not, that they didn't have to pay taxes, which is awesome. I'm all into that. Okay. It also meant that they could govern themselves, and Rome didn't really have to, to do anything with them, but they were still owned by Rome. And so these people, these city officials, knowing that Rome knows about their history, that every so often that somebody comes up and they, you know, raise an army and they, they declare themselves as king or the next Alexander the Great and stuff like that. I mean, these city officials are worried that if Rome hears about this, that people are proclaiming that there's another king, this guy named Jesus, that Rome could come in. Number one, Rome could take away their free city status, but they could also come in and put the, to death the city leaders. They could do a whole bunch of things that could be really bad for the city. And so these guys are take this very seriously, and they don't want to hear about some other king. And so in the next verse, it says, the crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset. They're not happy about this. There's a lot at stake. Their whole livelihood could be at stake. And after taking a security bond, meaning like a fine, from Jason and the others, they released them. Well, later that night, um, the, uh, the Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, they all come out of hiding wherever, you know, wherever they, they were. And uh, the new Thessalonian church, all these people who have only been Christians maybe for a matter of days, they all meet together one last time with Paul and, uh, and they send them away saying, hey, Paul, don't worry about us. All right, we'll be okay. They're going to kill you if you stay here. You need to get out of here. You need to go somewhere else. We'll be all right. And so Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke, they all head to this small city, which is just southwest of Thessalonica, way here on the edge of the map, called Berea. In Berea, they do the exact same thing they did in Thessalonica. They go to the synagogues on Saturdays. They, they teach all the Jews hey, saying, hey, your Messiah has come, your Savior. He's, he's here. His name, was, his name is Jesus, and he, and he died, but he also rose again. And so they're teaching everybody there, and they start a church. A whole bunch of people believe. And uh, the news soon gets back to the Jews in Thessalonica that saying, hey, guess what? We found where Paul is. Paul, he just walked down to Berea. And so these Jews in Thessalonica, they actually go and they follow Paul to Berea and they create a riot in Berea and they chase Paul out of Berea too. And Paul, he has to run away so that he doesn't get killed. He has to run down and he goes down to Athens. And in Athens, some, some interesting stuff happens. You can also read that in Acts. But, uh, but in Athens, what we find out through this letter is that Paul, he is worried about this new church in Thessalonica. Right? He's worried about them. I mean, think about it, right? Paul, he had to leave abruptly. It wasn't his plan to leave so soon. Um, he hadn't had time to establish leaders. There's no leaders to the church. He hadn't had much time to teach them about Jesus. And not only that, but the Christians were being persecuted and oppressed by the city officials, all right? Really, by the whole city, by the Jewish people especially. And so Paul, he's sitting there in, in Athens, and he doesn't know what has happened to them. He, and he, let's be honest, he probably fears the worst. 
He doesn't know if they've been killed, if they're dead, or they're alive, or they've been wiped out. He doesn't know if they've gone back to worshiping other gods. He doesn't know what's happened. And so Paul sends Timothy, this young man that was with him, back to Thessalonica to check in on them. And in the meantime, Paul and Timothy, they, they make a plan saying, hey, Paul says, I'm going to head from Athens. I'm going to go over to Corinth where I'm going to spend some time. He actually ends up spending a year and a half there. And, uh, and he says, Timothy, I want you to go check up on, the, on, the, on Thessalonica, the church there, and then I want you to come down to Corinth. I want to give you, you know, give me a report. Tell me, tell me what's going on. And so Paul moves over to Corinth, and he waits. He waits for the news to hear what's gone with that church. He's worried about them. He's thinking about them. Eventually, Timothy makes his way back and reports to Paul. He says, hey, Paul, I got some good news. And not only does Timothy have good news, but it appears that Timothy also has a letter from the church in Thessalonica where they had some questions, especially around this whole idea of Jesus returning. And so Paul decides to sit down one day, and he writes this brand new young church, a short letter, these people that he loved, these people that he cared for, these people that he's been wondering about and thinking about and worried about for months. And that's the letter of 1 Thessalonians that we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks. He starts off this way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He starts off by saying, hey, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. He's like, man, I've been praying for you guys for like months. I'm glad to hear everything's Okay. What we recall, or what I remember in the presence of God our Father, he's saying, I remember your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope and our Lord Jesus. So he's saying, the thing that I remember about you guys the most is I remember your work, your labor, and your endurance that went along with it. Now, what is he talking about here? What's this, you know, what's the work? See, as our Christian, as a Christian, which may not be everybody in here, but maybe most of us in here, as a Christian, our job, our work, our labor, our mission, whatever you want to call it, our job is to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. I feel like, you know, I say that all the time. Um, That's our job. That should be kind of at the forefront of the way we live our life. The way we live our life, it matters. And what we do in our life should really be dictated as to the idea of, What can I do to help all the people around me, all the people in my life, find Jesus or start that relationship with Jesus? And you know why? Maybe our biggest motivator, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is that hell is a real place. And the Bible tells us that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus actually go there. And as Christians, man, that should bother us. Like that, should, that should do something. That should not sit well with us knowing that people in our life might be headed to that place. And so that's why we talk about this here at Grace so often, that the most important thing that we can do in our life is to help others start a relationship with Jesus. All right, that, that's our job. That's the last thing that Jesus tells us to do. In Matthew 28, we see that Jesus, he's kind of having his last you know, sit down with his disciples and he's telling them, hey, I want you guys to do this, do this, do this. The last thing he does before he goes up to heaven is he says, hey, man, here's the deal. I want you guys to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to go and I want you to tell people about what I've done on the cross just a few weeks before. I want you to tell people about, about me. See, the people in this church in Thessalonica, like they get it. Like it clicks with them. They understand, and this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, 
I remember that you guys do. He's saying, that's what I remember about you guys the most. In the next verse, he says, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. He says, and you yourselves, you became imitators of us and the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you were welcomed, or you welcomed the message with joy. It's interesting here to me that Paul, he, he connects severe persecution with joy. That's something that we don't see in the world that we live in. Right? I mean, I mean, it's not. We think in the world that we live in, it's like life has to be good and easy, so that, and then we can be happy. Like some things have to come first, and then we can have joy. Man, that's such a lie the world tells us. That's why we have a bunch of unhappy, depressed, sad people in our world today. Here's Paul. He's pointing out to them. He's saying, hey, not only do you guys get it, not only do you guys understand the real mission, the real job that the church is supposed to be doing, he's saying even when people in the, in the city are making things miserable for you, even when you're going through such hard times, man, you guys have joy. Those aren't connected. What's happening in our, in our life and our joy in our life should not necessarily be connected which is what the world tells us all the time. In the next verse, he says, and as a result, because of that, because of the joy that you have and because of the work that you guys are doing, which is exactly what the church is supposed to do, you guys are on mission, you became an example to all the believers in the entire province of Macedonia and the next province over, which is Achaia. He's like, you guys have become an example. Why? Next verse, he says, for the word of the Lord, it rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. See, here's, I mean, think about this, right? Here's Paul. He's been worried about this church for months. He's been worried about these people. He doesn't know what's happened to them. He didn't know if they were even, if they were dead or alive. Timothy gets into town and he's like, hey, Paul, guess what? I got really, really, really good news. Not only are these people alive, but they are telling everyone that they can about Jesus. Like they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They're, they're, they're teaching people the gospel. They're telling people the good news. And Timothy says, the good news is literally, Paul, you wouldn't believe it. It's literally a ringing out from Thessalonica. Right, that place that hated, you know, that hated you, that place that chased you out, the place where all the, the mob and the riot was, you know, that place, the gospel or the good news about what Jesus has done is literally ringing out from it. Now, the, the Greek word ringing out here, it actually was a word that they would also use for like thunder, okay? It's like sound that's heard everywhere. How many of you guys on Thursday morning, you guys heard the storms go through? Okay, oh yeah, all right, some of that thunder was super loud. Um, it's weird about thunder that thunder, you know, can happen miles away. You could be in the innermost part of your house, in your innermost closet, you know, whatever, and you could still hear it sometimes because it's so loud, because it rings, it travels so far. Sometimes even the walls are shaking a little bit, you're like, ah, you know. But, uh, but here, here's Timothy and Paul, they're saying, this is like ringing out. The gospel is ringing out from these people. They're doing exactly what Jesus told us to do, which is spread the word. And because they're doing it, he's saying they, or really to them, he's saying you guys are an example to every church. In the next verse, he says, therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception that we had from you. He says, how you turn to God from idols. Now, these people were just months before we're literally spending their lives or spending their time worshiping fake gods or worshiping idols. Thessalonica was known for this. There was, they had 
temples to all kinds of different gods all over the place. They actually even had a temple to Caesar, right? Some guy, right? Just, uh, just you know, to, to worship him or maybe to make him feel good. I don't know. But, uh, but people worship Caesar in his own temple within Thessalonica. And so Paul, he's just pointing this out. He's saying, hey, you guys have turned to God, the real God, from idols to serve the, the living and true God. And he's pointing out their change. They're changing in their life. By the way, you get that if you've given your life over to Jesus, there should be a change, right? I'm not saying you turn perfect all of a sudden, but I'm saying the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit moves in and it starts working on us and he points out all the things in your life that shouldn't be there and he starts chipping away at us. And by the way, sometimes that's very uncomfortable and sometimes, you know, it, it hurts in a sense. But, uh, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what God does within our life, meaning there should be a change in our life. And if there's not, like if you're saying, hey, you know, yeah, I've been a Christian for a long time and, and this is when I became a Christian, but you're the same person as you were before, Man, I'm just saying, I question that. I invite you to question yourself. See, there should be a change about it. There's a change in these people. These people, they got it. And the same thing for us, where we start to change, and we want to change. And Paul's saying, I've heard of your reputation. I've heard of your example. I've seen the change. And because of that, you give me Joy. Chapter 3, he says, but now Timothy, he's come to us from you, and he brought us good news. Right? I wasn't expecting necessarily good news, but he brought us good news about your faith, about your love. He says, he reported that you always have good memories of us. That's good. And that you long to see us as we long to see you. We want to see each other. Therefore, brothers and sisters... In all of our distress and affliction, here's Paul. He's saying, hey, man, my life's not easy. I got stuff going on in my life. I got distress. I got affliction. We got, they're being persecuted in Corinth um, with all these different people groups. And he says, in all our distress and affliction, guess what? We were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live. If you stand firm in the Lord, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy that we experienced before our God because of you? See, I could totally relate to what Paul's saying here. See, as a pastor, man, there's no greater joy than watching a new Christian who's excited, who's motivated, who has joy telling other people about Jesus. You know, sometimes I just talk to people and they're like, hey, yeah, I was just talking to my coworker here and I invited this person to church and then I was working on this person. I'm just like, like, it just, it just, it brings me joy. I'm just like, ah, you get it, All right? You're not blinded. Like, like, you understand, like, this is a big deal. See, this church, what Paul's pointing out, he's saying they have drive and they have motivation by the way, that many of us Christians who have been Christians for decades seem to easily lose. See, for a lot of us, we've been Christians for a long time, and Christianity, it almost seems to become routine for us, meaning we go to church on Sunday, and we read our Bibles sometimes, and we listen to Christian music, and we're just a really good person all around, and it's just what we do. There's not really any meaning behind it. We do it because, well, because we're supposed to do it, right? It just becomes routine. And by the way, if you want to know if, you've fallen, if you have fallen into routine, just answer this question you know, to yourself. When was the last time you talked to somebody who doesn't go to church here about Jesus? 
I mean, how long has it been? That's the idea, right? It, the, the, naturally, I feel like a lot of us, we come up with excuses, right? Well, this is what we do. We say, well, you know, I've heard this a lot. It's like, well, you know, I show them Jesus through the way that I live my life. And I'm like, that's great, because that's part of it. That's not all of it. You know, it also takes our words. Paul once said, he said, man, how can someone hear about Jesus unless they are told? Like, it takes both. It takes both words and it takes action. It takes our words and it takes the way that we live our life to back up our words. By the way, doing one, it doesn't work. If you just use your words and, and you tell people about Jesus, but the way that you live your life is terrible or it doesn't back that up, then you're just a hypocrite. Why would anybody want to listen to you? Right, but if it's the opposite, which I feel like most of us, we fall into this camp, if it's just action, meaning we live a really, really good life, but, but, uh, but we never tell people about Jesus, man, that's just cruel. It's like everyone's sick around us, and we find a cure, and we cure ourselves, but then, but then we, don't, you know, we don't share that cure with anybody else. We just, live a happy, or we just live a healthy life around the sick. See, some of us, we, we have other excuses. It's like, well, you know, I don't want anyone, or, or I don't know anyone, you know, really. I don't have a good relationship with people who aren't Christians, and so, and so you know, that doesn't really apply to me. Or, or it's just awkward sometimes talking to people about Jesus. I don't really want, like, those people that I do have a relationship with. It's like, you know, it just, it just feels weird, and they're going to be looking at me different for five minutes, and that bothers me, and so I don't want to do that. Or, uh, or some of us are just like, well, you know, what if they have a question that I don't, think I can answer. You know, I don't want to be stuck in that position, and so that, you know, I better just not say anything. By the way, remember what Jesus says, right? Matthew 28, he's, he tells us to go out and tell him to make more followers. He doesn't say, hey, you're off the hook if, uh, if you think you can't answer a few questions, right? If you don't think you have the answers that they may ask, then don't even worry about it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, if you don't happen to know anybody, then, uh, then you're good to go. Don't, don't worry about what I said. Or, you know, or, or if it's going to get awkward between you two, then yeah, I'd better hold off on that. He does, that's not what he says. He says, no, this is real. Like heaven and hell lay in the balance. Those were his last words. In fact, right after he tells his disciples that one day to do this, his very last of his last words, he says, guys, remember. He's like, remember this. We're now doing your thing. We're now doing the work, the labor, kind of like this Thessalonian church. When you're out doing what we're supposed to do as Christians, telling other people about Jesus, he says, this is what I want you to remember, that I am with you always to the end of the age. He's like, I'll be with you. What do you have to worry about? Until the end of the age. He's like, I'll be with you until I come back. And actually, in this letter, Paul is going to connect why we need to live in a way that helps people find Jesus in relation to the end where Jesus comes back someday. And so what do we got here? Well, we have a new young church who's only known about Jesus for a matter of months got the government clamping down on them. And so it's not easy. They're probably getting beat and thrown into jail and all the stuff that Paul had gone through. And they can't shut up about it. Right? They can't stop. They won't stop. Think of that in comparison to our lives. This church wasn't perfect by any means, but 2,000 years later, they're still an example for us today. They were on mission. 
the same mission that we're still on today. And they were reaching their city and their surrounding area for Jesus. And it brought joy and encouragement to other Christians to do the same. And these people started a movement in their province of Macedonia that still lasts to this day. And it's the same type of movement that we hope to have here in Tiffin and Seneca County and really all of Northwest Ohio. But it's up to us. And so today, I guess I would encourage you to do this. Get out of your routine, right? Get out of the Christian routine where we just do things. We're not really thinking why we do it. Where we just, we just, we just live our life a certain way. And, uh, and, and, and just remember that as a team and as a family, like we're in this to reach our community. That is our job. It's what God commands us to do. Here at Grace for the next few months, I mean, we got some stuff coming up this winter that I cannot wait to explain to you guys that's really going to take everybody, and we're all going to have to be really all in on it to, to make it work. But, uh, but here, you know, here at Grace, we're not done, and we have a long way to go, and it's exciting to have really a purpose and a mission in life. And that's what God's given us. And so I just, you know, as we go out this week and go into our lives and we go back to work and to school and, uh, you know, to the store, into the gas station, just all these different places, just remember that every single time that we rub shoulders with somebody that we don't know where they're going for eternity, that that's an opportunity that God's given us to make a difference in their life somehow and to reach them. Uh, Let's pray. God, we... uh, we thank you for everything that you've given us, and we thank you for these words, and just an encouragement, just to, just to remember this church, this brand new, young church that didn't know much, they didn't have all the Bible knowledge that so many of us here have, but God, you used them, and you used them to, to really reach a nation and eventually an empire for you. God, we ask that you do the same here in our community and in Northwest Ohio, Lord, that we would give our lives to your work and to the mission and to the job that you've given us. And you'd help us to make a difference, that you'd use us to make a difference in the lives of the people that are around us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.